The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, an online intuition development course for people who want their self awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and this week, my return guest is my very special friend, Michael Phillips. Michael is sharing with us the early part of his spiritual journey growing up as a member of the Communist Party. His family was as a very small child in the United States in the 30s and 40s, then rolling into the beat generation of the 50s and finding himself at the foot of a guru and learning meditation in Berkeley in the 60s. I connected with Michael in person at my home in Victoria, B.C. Take me back to the early part of your life before Quakers were involved. What was your spiritual upbringing like? Oh, dear. I'm 82. (laughs) Well, if you were to give me the the highlight reel... (laughs) Did you grow up with a religious household? No, uh, not uh, not as such. I, I I was born to a family, and I was born in 1932, and that was I think the year that my parents, one after the other, joined the Communist Party. My father was he's 40 years older than I am, so when I was born, he was 40, and uh, I was 42, I guess. Born in 1932, and my mother is 20 years younger. So, that's a that's a that's an interesting mm-hmm. thing to begin with. But he was a professor of uh, philosophy at the University of Washington when I was born. He went, well, when I was born, he wasn't. But by the time I was aware, he was. He was he was a graduate student when I was born. Really writing his dissertation. But uh, they, in the middle of the of the uh, depression, they 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 became socialists. Um, he grew out of a he was a cowboy's he he grew out of a cowboy family, uh, farmers and cowboys, and uh, and my mother uh, was very young. She was just out of she hadn't completed high school, uh, and uh, never did complete any schooling, but it became the most. Uh, she was very well educated by the by the time I got came around. Mm-hmm. By the time I got aware, she read continuously. So I grew up in a communist family, and that meant that when we were driving out into when we were driving off somewhere into a in somebody else's car, they never either of them learned to drive or got a car. When you're driving off into the country to a picnic or something, <clears throat> I was I was reported as uh, as staring out the window and saying, "Oh, there's a cow! Oh, there's another cow! Oh, there's a cow! There's a whole meeting of cows," <laughs> which was which everybody loved because I, because it was an awareness of how, how how much meetings meant to to me in my life. That was where people got together. That was where you saw clusters of people, you know, interacting. <clears throat> that was certainly the way meetings were for me. You know, my, my parents were always off to meetings, 
and uh, they usually meet met in union halls and uh, folding wooden folding chairs and uh, the kids running around uh, and uh, finally finally falling asleep under the chairs that kind of stuff that was that was a that was a milieu that was a part of a milieu so how did you make the leap from a childhood that uh, sounds quite secular and and intellectual and political to uh, go moving to Argenta, which was a Quaker community and teaching and, you know, Quakers, they are the religious society of friends. Yeah. I can only imagine that this was like stepping into a whole different world. No, it wasn't stepping. It was easing over <laughs> a long period of time. The worst crisis in my young adult life um, what would I have been in my in my middle twenties? <clears throat> the uh, Khrushchev announced to the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, announced and uh, and elaborated uh, Stalin's horrible stuff, and uh, the whole uh, structure of the Soviet Union that was completely contrary to what I had been believing and holding myself, uh, identifying myself by. So that was very shocking. It was terrible. I mean, everybody else in the world knew about it except some of us, mm. you know, who thought that all that stuff was, was were lies from the, com from the capitalist press, mm. right? They're lying about the Soviet Union, and we knew the truth. It was a very hard thing because, because that communist... Milieu was a very um, intellectually very energetic and very honest, mm. so and you know ethically very honest and caring, and uh, and so I grew up knowing the score when all my everybody around me didn't know the score. Not only that, but I couldn't talk to them about it. Mm. You know that we had to. You know we had security problems. Mm -hmm. God. And you were in America. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is all in, this is all in Seattle. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, Khrushchev was after. It was later. Yeah, that was in my early 20s. And I had already been easing away from the party, but not, not much. You know, it's still, it's still, that's where all my friends were and where all my activities were and so on. So that was a terrible shock. And uh, one of the things that was happening at that time was that the party was falling to pieces because of the FBI. I mean, the attack on the on the communists was very direct and very very physical and very strong. So we were not only vilified in the press and you know people were horrified as who we were and so on but but we were attacked and we were, we were um, um, abused what's the word intimidated we intimidated and and uh, the, the, yeah the, the the FBI and the and the un-american committees were after us so you and experienced they, a lot of harassment a lot of harassment that was the word mm -hmm. we were harassed some of us to our death mm -hmm. um, and uh, and uh, and uh, they, there came a point when the whole 
Central Committee of the uh, U.S. Party was was thrown in jail and stayed there for several years. Um, and my father was uh, fired from his uh, university post without any, you know, contrary to, to tenure code, con contrary to the to the re to the recommendations of the of the. Uh, uh, committee, the local, the university committee, tenure committee. And, uh, but it was not only that, but they lost, we lost, the family lost a lot of friends, mm -hmm. you know, over, practically overnight, over a period of a few months, people that were used to be good friends, pals all the time, would cross the street so they wouldn't have to say hello to my father or mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, he lost his job and so on. So that was, that was, that was an ordeal that put me into, um, I, so I took a long time to grow up. Mm -hmm. I took a long time to grow up on account of all that. So you left America eventually after you know yeah. meeting your wife yeah. and That's right. going through your own university studies. But it sounds like the climate was not conducive <laughs> to your thoughts yeah. and your your political. That's bend. right. But meanwhile, but meanwhile, I was thrown on my own. Uh, mm -hmm. So in my inner life, was had to change had to change. Um, being miserable and uh, hateful was not suitable, was not, I mean, you couldn't go on that way. You mm -hmm. can't go on doing that without uh, wrecking your life. And, uh, and I was too exuberant to do that. <clears throat> I have had an inner life all my life. I've had an inner life and I've not been able to, uh, to dodge that. It's always there, right? Um, and so, and so I was looking for ways of having an inner life without being a communist, without mm -hmm. being a Marxist, without being devoted to that thing. You know, I, I had identified myself, this is of interest to your questions. I, I, I had, I had, and I decided that never again, never again would I give my identity to an organization, to an institution to a body of people, to an ideal, to a, to an idea, I would, I would find what was real in my life and live by it. So, as you were searching for what was real in your life and wanting to live by that, what intrigued you about? moving to a religious community that was remote and where it was actually um, yeah. a school as that was under the uh, um, care of, of the Quakers? Well, I was not ignorant of the existence of mystical experience. It was, even, my father led me to that, and he was an absolute materialist, you know, non-believer, um, rationalist materialist. That's what I keep saying, calling him. A right. rationalist materialist? Ra rationalist materialist. <laughs> um, um, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean that, that, that for him, reason was the guide. Reason was the guide. And proof? Is that what you mean by materialist? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, things. 
And, uh, but he was a philosopher. He was a very, very good teacher. He, was, he didn't publish anything. He never got beyond an assistant professor, I think, in the ranks. But he had, his students fell in love with him. He was really good at it. Uh, and, uh, and he was interested. And he had, and he once, at some time, oh, several times, he, he spoke about William, uh, uh, come on. Blake? No. The philosopher, James. Okay. William James. And he, uh, and uh, the variety of, uh, varieties of, of uh, mystical, mystical experience. experience, a religious experience, mm-hmm. varieties of religious experience, that book. Uh, and uh, he told me, he, you know, so several times I knew that the book existed and there was such a thing as this, as a uh, mystical experience, but I didn't know what that meant. Uh, I puzzled about it. I thought about it, uh, and Scoop did have some. Scoop was my father. He did have some ideas about, you know, he did have some. He had some what expositions about that. And uh, when when uh, when I came back from when I, after I was in the army and out of the army, and I went to live in California. Got 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 involved with the. With the with the communists there, and got and that was where all that other stuff happened. And I decided that, and I also got uh, oh god, <laughs> I got a I got to I got a I got a trade and was working at my trade, and I didn't like it. And I decided I would go back to school and get a university degree. So I went back to Seattle to live in my parents' house uh, while uh, I went to went to university, and I didn't stay there. I didn't stay in the house very long. Uh, moved out on myself, but but uh, it, it was at that time, it was at that time somewhere along the line that that during those four or five years, my father gave me a little pamphlet, a little book, about that big, tiny paperback, called I don't know mysticism or the mystics or something like that, and it gave me a really basic little outline of what mysticism was, and how it worked, and uh, and I wanted one. I wanted a mystical experience. You wanted experience. a mystical experience? Yeah, I yeah. really wanted one of those. Boy, that would really be neat. I think I thought of it as, as, a, as a sort of super sexual experience, mm. you know. Um, I mean, related. Mm-hmm. Which in the way it is. And uh, so I had that I had that thing on me and I was, and I read poetry. I read the, I read all the beat, the beats and the, you know the new age people well not not new age before the hippies but mm-hmm. the beats I I read the I read the I read all the literature and poetry and books and so on about that group I was really hooked up in jazz and music Bach was becoming very important to me and uh, and I was engaged in theater activities I was I, I had a I was worked as a stagehand at a local uh, theater, all those things, right? So I was paying attention to that. All of those experiences that take you out of the mind and take you into another form of experience that maybe touches on mystical at times, but as you were yearning for that mystical experience, did you think that you were going to uh, achieve that with Quakers or was... No. No. I, I didn't know how I was going to achieve it. I didn't know where you went for that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but the, you know, the the uh, the, the beat movement was there. Uh, Jack Kerouac and mm-hmm. all, you know all that stuff uh, was was there, and so I was willing to think about 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 psych. About and it was a psychological experience. It was a psychological event. So the psychology of it was a real interest to me, uh, and I did yearn for it. And uh, and uh, and so I paid attention to those kinds of things. I didn't pay attention to religious things because I knew that religion was a pile of crap, and I still think it is. Right? I don't. I, I will not admit that I'm an than a, a religious person. You know, and I don't like the word spiritual, but I can't find any other. Um, for the kind of uh, of subconscious or whole whole consciousness, I think really the holistic consciousness that uh, that we aim at, and that was where that began. Well, <clears throat> we made friends with a uh, with a couple. Oh, because we lived in the same uh, apartment house mm. down the hall from a couple, um, and and Michael and Roberta Nagler, and they had. Uh, and he uh, and Michael uh, had come to had, had fallen at the feet of a of a guru, as he had been attending the the Thursday evening meetings of this of Eknathi uh, Swaran uh, in Berkeley, and uh, said this guy's really great. This guy's really great, and and they, and it's all about meditation, and meditation does it for you, laying out. The substance of mysticism, very simple, very basic, very accessible, very ordinary, accessible, not magical, not distant, not remote or or you, know, you, you had a word you had a word even in your list of questions that uh, I think it was in there that uh, I will you know that I reject having to do with well whatever mind what was esoteric. Mm. Esoteric. I I, re, I I reject esoteric <laughs> as, a, right. as a quality in my life. Um, and and uh, it's certainly nothing esoteric about Iswaran's things. I mean, he was a he was a Hindu. So he talked a lot about his, he you know he he talked out of his his most of his, his pitches were coming out of the Gita, um, but uh, but he was saying it's not a Hindu thing. It's a it's a human thing, and you can do it. And if you're going to seek this, seek it in your own practices. Seek it in the practices you're 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 familiar with already. You know, Jesus is a perfectly good word to use, mm. and so on and so on. And uh, not that I cared about that, but but uh, but I did I did like the fact that it was ordinary to be mystical. It was ordinary to. Be, to meditate, it was ordinary to feel these feelings. It's available to anybody, and uh, that turned me on. That's Michael Phillips in the second part of a conversation we're having about his spiritual journey thus far. The first part of that conversation was the Numinous Podcast, Episode 24, Grieving for Susan and Civilization. And by the way, if you'd like to get to know Michael's wife a little bit more, you can meet Lynn Phillips in the Numinous Podcast, Episode 20, uh, where we talked about and we shared our sacred poetry, our favorite poets and poems. I love them, and I hope you're um, you're enjoying getting to know Michael a bit better. 
Today's show notes can be found on my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Just click the podcast tab. I want to thank Michael so much for sharing his story with me, and I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I, of course, really appreciate your review on iTunes, and please share it far and wide so it can reach more seekers just like you, because you never know who needs to hear it right now. And I really want to give a shout out to all my friends in Poland. I can't help but notice, Poland, that you are uh, sharing the show far and wide for sure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And actually, as I was uh, looking at the statistics about uh, who's listening to the the podcast where, I I really also, I want to send a wave to my listener in China. I have a few there, a handful. Hello. And India and even Barbados. These are very densely populated countries. And it not it wonderful to know that you're not alone? There's a handful of listeners in each of those countries. I think that's fantastic. Actually, in Barbados, I think there's a few dozen. So thank you very much for tuning in each week. It feels so good to know that there are other soulful seekers out there who enjoy having these kinds of conversations. Thank you for sharing this time with me. If you'd like to keep exploring the great mystery of life with me, you can go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, and click the link for the Numinous School, my online intuition development course, and also, of course, connect with other people who are actively seeking to connect with their soul and develop their intuition. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter. You'll instantly receive a meditation download, and you'll get something free from me every month. Until next time, take care.